everybody. Welcome to the Export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I am sure is very, very interested to see the future of King Henry. I mean, what? We got six more games left. You and I kind of talked about it because Bleacher Report put out like different places they could see running backs in and up in. But what do you think realistically King Henry plays in 2024? Uh, realistically, I think he's going to resign with the Titans. Um, because he's older, um, there's a team that knows how to utilize him. And honestly, I don't, like, unless he goes to a contender, I don't really see any team, like, wanting to put value into him like that. So I think he's just going to resign. Now, what do you think the carry split is going to be between him and Ty J Spears? Uh, I would say maybe... 60-40? I could see that. I could see something like that, especially because over the last few games, we've started to see a bit more Ty J. Like, but unfortunately, like the offensive line has not necessarily been playing well, so it's been hard to create rushing lanes in general. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with King Henry. Got a big game this weekend. And we got a cool show for you guys today. We are going to talk the Panthers' decision to fire head coach Frank Reich after 11 games and discuss whether or not we believe that was the right call. We're also going to look at the NBA and talk about who should step up for the Charlotte Hornets in the absence of LaMelo Ball, as well as rank the top three dream duos that Shaq mentioned that we would like to see. But before we get to any of that, please sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers free episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the x report so we're going to start this show off a little bit different than normal because this past week wwe presented survivor series war games now embryo and i already did a more of a deep dive into the pay-per-view definitely went into the returns of randy orton um even our truth cm punk great little listen be sure to check that out um, but right now, we're going to get Ethan's takes on the show. So, first off, uh, what was your favorite match? My favorite match was the Women's War Games match. It was, like, it was really, really good. Yeah, I agree. I like that it seemed like everybody got their moment to shine in that match. Like, the men's one was good, too, but it felt like even, like, the people who were just kind of there, like, Shotzi, who nobody expected to do too much, like, got had some big moments. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, what was your favorite moment of the show? Favorite moment? Um, I would have to say the RKO to JD. Like, even though I saw it before I actually watched the rest of the Survivor Series because I just finished it today, but I saw it on Instagram. But it was just like the fact that they had the balls to even attempt to pull that off and Randy's first match back is insane. Yeah, because I know it's like, I'm sure JD, like, I'm sure he was okay with it. You know, I think it was Sammy and Seth up there. Like, one, they got more balls than me because I'm not getting on top of that cell. First things first. And secondly, like, if I'm JD, like, it could have gone so wrong. If Randy didn't catch him, he would just land it face first on the mat, and that would have been incredibly painful. But, no, that was a really, really dope spot. 
Um, who do you feel like increased and decreased their stock? Increased stock. Um, I would say Gunther. Decreased stock. I'm gonna say Damian Priest. Cause he took the pen. He took the pen and like, in my opinion, I would have had, and we talked about it. I think on our prediction show. In my opinion, I would have had judgment, like, watching the show. I would have had judgment day win. It would have been hard because you don't want to waste the return of Randy. But, like, I would have had the, the results flipped. Like, I would have had the face women lose and the heel men win. No, I feel that. I Because I thought that they weren't going to have the – I mean, because I thought the face men were going to win, I was like, okay, I don't think the heel women are going to end up losing. But, I mean, they did, and it made sense that they did. Low-key, I'm still a little bit salty. I didn't get my uh, Bailey turn, but it's okay because I know it's coming, and I know it's going to be worth the wait. Um, But, yeah, I feel that. I definitely could have seen an argument for Judgment Day winning, but I don't think it necessarily hurts them in the long run. So, I think they'll be okay. Um, what was your one booking decision you would have done differently? One booking decision I would have done differently. Um, honestly, I wouldn't have had the Santos and Jacqueline match. I would have had, um, I would have replaced it with something with, this was something else. It was a good match, but I wouldn't have had it in Survivor Series, if that makes sense. I'll say it like this. I I wish it would have been with Carlito, but I think Carlito might have legitimately been hurt, and so they had to, like, change it on the fly. But I didn't really have an issue with it, especially because you really got to see, like, how much the fans were, like, reacting to Santos as a heel, which is major. Like, honestly, regardless of the match, like, the match was good or whatever, but I think just the fans – expressing their disdain for him was big because as a heel that's what you want you want the fans to react to you you want the fans to hate you you want the fans to boo you and for them to do all that i think it's a nice sign at least for him that his heel turn is in the going in the right direction because they hate that man but low-key it's a guarantee fans are going to hate you if you turn on ray mysterio 100%. uh next up what was your biggest wtf moment biggest wtf moment Honestly, was the fact that Randy didn't RKO Jay at any point of the men's war game match. And they did tease it. Yeah. They teased it, but like, in my opinion, and this also might tie into my booking, is like, that's how, if I would have booked it, that's how judgment that would have won. Is RK, Randy would have RKO Jay. And they would have pinned him after that. But I know Randy's going to be a baby face when he comes back. But that's what I would have did. Yeah, you and uh, Embryo were in the same boat with regards to that. I I won't be surprised if Randy does turn on Jay. Because I don't know how much of Raw you watch. But I do think he is going to end up turning on Jay. Especially because he was like, no, nah, we're cool. We're cool. No, when Randy Orton tells you you're cool, that don't mean nothing. Randy Orton is a devious yeah. mofo. He's going to get his lick back. He didn't forget. Um, yeah. So, I think it's going to happen at some point. But, like I was telling you, like, and on the podcast, like, it just didn't make sense to me to do pretty much tell the same story twice. 
Because you already got Drew who has a vendetta out against Jay, rightfully so, because he feels like Jay cost him the world, I mean, WWE Universal Championship. Okay, that makes sense. And then, but then you also have Randy Orton who was like, well, I got beef with Jay because he knocked me out of action. Sure, technically their reasons for hating Jay are different, but it's kind of the same thing. So I could see them doing that once, like, things kind of quell with Drew or, like, if they fully take him out of a storyline with Jay. But in the meantime, it just it, it it's better to probably hold off for a little bit, or at least in my opinion. Um, And then what would you grade the show? Uh, I'd give it a, a B plus. All right, and then one – I'm sorry, what were you going to say? No, nah, I was just saying I'd give it a B plus. All right, and then the last thing for me, just because I'm interested, one, did you have a feeling that CM Punk was going to come back? And two, what are your thoughts now that he is back with the WWE after almost 10 years? Uh, I knew he was going to come back. Like, in my opinion, like, because I watched the beginning of Survivor Series when they asked what was happening live, and I was like, they're in Chicago, this crowd is amazing. Like, Punk's coming back. Like, in my mind, I said, I would have been more surprised if he hadn't came back than if he had came back. Um, so I definitely thought that he was coming back. The way that they did it, I thought was very good because it's like, oh, I'm thinking Survivor Series wrapping up. Like, it's time. I'm looking at my... Like, cause I, kind of, I saw it on social media, but it was like, and I think somebody told me, like, the way that they did it on, like, doing the show was, like, they put up the graphic of, like, the Survivor Series, typically the graphic that you see when this time, when the show's ended. Mm-hmm. And then I, and so, like, I thought they did that very well. What are my thoughts? I had a conversation with somebody about this. I think CM Punk, this was ultimately CM Punk's ultimate goal. Like, I think... He had his moment in AEW. He saw that the grass isn't always green on the other side. He might have tried to get out of AEW in a more calmer fashion. And Tony Khan told him, like, nah, bro. Like, you're our biggest attraction. We paying you all this money. You ain't going nowhere. And Senior Punk, the type of person where it's like, you say something to him like this, he'll be like, okay, bet, I'm going to force my way out. And I think that's what happened. From a WWE standpoint, I think it's, I think it's good because, um, at least in recent history, it's no better time to be a wrestling fan than like recently because like with Triple H taking over, creative and stuff like that, the storylines have been really good. The product in the ring has been really good. Like you have like the moments of the past that are coming back, but they're not taking over the show like they have in the past. Like, John Cena coming back for that little brief run. Yes, we know it was because of a writer strike or whatever. But still, he came back and he took a loss. And, like, he built somebody up in the process. We had the little moment with The Rock. So, I think it's good. I'm more... My only thing is I don't want him to be in a title picture of any sort. Like, within the next couple of months, like, I want that to kind of build up. Like, I know, like, Seth legitimately hates him. We saw, we saw all the videos. And I know they're going to pretend. And he kind of hinted towards that in his promo on Monday because I watched all of Raw, basically all of Raw, and I saw the promo. And I know they're going to, at some point, um, 
put them against each other, but I think he's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I mean, I haven't really watched a CM Punk match since, like, Straight Edge Society Punk because when he was doing the best in the world gimmick, I wasn't watching wrestling. So I'm interested to see what Seth, I mean, not Seth, what CM Punk brings because WWE doesn't need him. Like, it's cool that he's there, but WWE was doing just fine without him. Sure, it brings back that nostalgia feel, and it's, like, all these different possibilities that it can go to. But it's also one of the things where, like, WWE's not AEW. And so if Punk wants to show his behind and act a fool, WWE's not going to put up with that. He's just going to go. And the world is going to keep on turning. Because I was talking to a friend of mine who watches AEW and was saying that since CM Punk left, like, their viewership is down. um, And they're down in, like, in the ratings. But WWE, I don't think it's going to be as much of a hit just because they, like I said, they've been rocking forever without CM Punk, and that's what's going to continue to be the case. But, again, I'm excited to see the storylines he's in. Um, I'm with you. I don't think he should be in the title picture, period, um, but especially not anytime soon just because I'm a firm believer in let's build up the guys that we already have. Let's build up the guys who've been here and, truthfully, who are more deserving. But it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I'm excited to see who his first feud is with and just more of CM Punk on the mic because he is still one of the best ever to touch a mic. So we shall see what it all goes down with CM Punk. And by the way, for listeners, our wrestling fans, later this month we will be doing our end-of-the-year WWE Awards. Be on the lookout for that. We do them every year, load of fun. So, yeah, stay tuned. All right, that is the end of our WWE discussion. Let's go ahead and talk some football, starting off with our college football player spotlight. And this week, we're putting it on Illinois junior defensive tackle, Jerzon Newton. This season, he's been one of the best players that the line I could ask for. Already has 52 tackles, seven and a half sacks, two pass deflections, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Though he hasn't explicitly declared for the NFL draft yet, it's a safe bet that he will because he's by far the best defensive tackle of this year's class. Ethan, I know you love the big boys on the D-line. What team do you think could use Newton on their defensive front? Uh... It's a couple ways I could look at it. I'll just say I could potentially say the Steelers if Cam Hayward calls it quits, but I don't think that's gonna happen, at least not soon. Um, but realistically I'm going to say I'm gonna say the Bears. Cause like yes, I know they're gonna have to look at um a quarterback and maybe potentially drive Marvin Harrison Jr. But if they're able to, you know, make a move or something to get to a defensive position, to, to a peak where they can pick a defensive player, I think that's what they should do because they spent all this money in this offseason to get linebackers, but and they just traded for Monte and Sweet. Now I think the next step is to, like, solidify their interior because they honestly passed up on probably the greatest – um, interior defensive prospect in a while in Jalen Car- Carter um, because like as we've seen with him in the Eagles he's been a can't-miss prospect and I don't think they should make the same mistake twice uh, that'll be interesting because like I think if they do end up with the first overall pick which they would would technically it'd be the Panthers pick but they trade it you could make the same argument about like not using that first overall pick on a quarterback and not want to make that same decision twice. 
But we shall see. Um, big depending on not only what Justin Fields does these next six games, but also if they do decide to fire my, Matt Eberflus, who does their head coach want? And if they're not a Justin Fields guy, Justin Fields isn't going to be there. I'm going to say the Las Vegas Raiders, though. I mean, they already know you have in Max Crosby. Max Crosby's, Crosby's great. In recent weeks, we started to see a little bit more production with Tyree Wilson, who they spent their first-round pick last year on. They're another team that could be in the quarterback conversation, but this defense has played much better in the last few weeks than it did to start the year. But they could still definitely use some more juice up the middle, and I think Newton could provide that, help solidify that defensive front. And if they do decide to stick with Antonio Pierce as their head coach, he's a defensive guy, so he knows what it takes. He's played with some great defensive tackles and defensive linemen in his day with the Giants. So I think that would be an easy sell for him. Um, all right, let's go ahead and recap week 12 around the NFL, starting with the Thanksgiving games. Uh, Detroit Lions were upset by the Green Bay Packers 29-22. to Dallas Cowboys handled the Washington Commanders 45-10. to uh, 49ers extend their lead in the NFC West, beating the Seattle Seahawks 31-13. to First ever Black Friday game, Dolphins beat the Jets 34-13. to uh, Broncos are edging their way into playoff discussion, beating the Browns 29-12. to Baltimore Ravens defeat the Los Angeles Chargers 20-10 to on Sunday Night Football. Jags get a big win in the AFC South, beating the Texans 24-21. Steelers win a defensive game against the Cincinnati Bengals 16-10. Uh, your Tennessee Titans came out on top against the Carolina Panthers 17-10. Atlanta Falcons defeat the New Orleans Saints 24-15. Colts edge the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 27-20. Uh, New York Giants beat the New England Patriots 10-7. Uh, Rams run over the Cardinals 37-14. Eagles win a crazy one against the Buffalo Bills 37-34. Chiefs get back on track in the AFC West defeating the Las Vegas Raiders 31-17. And the Bears defeat the Minnesota Vikings 12-10. You and I both ended up going nine and four. Uh, turning things to injuries, not too much to really report on, which is a good thing. Unfortunately for the Texans, though, they're losing starting out. I mean, offensive lineman Titus Howard. He's having surgery on his knee to repair a previous knee injury and is expected to miss the rest of the season. And then a massive blow for the Dolphins. They're losing outside linebacker Jalen Phillips for the year after he tore his Achilles this past Friday. I mean. No one's necessarily looking at the Dolphins as this amazing pass rushing team. But when you lose your top pass rusher, that's a major blow. So if you're the Dolphins, how do you try to come back from this loss? Uh, I mean, the first step is looking to free agency, see if there are any available um, guys that you can potentially bring in. I guess the, and the second step is you're going to have to look at your scheme, see if you can um, – bring in some pressure schematically through blitzes and through stunts and through uh, various forms of bringing pressure because like you stated like even though he was Jalen Phillips wasn't a world beater as a pass rusher like in today's NFL you need to create pressure on a quarterback and losing your best pass rusher is always a blow that's going to be difficult to come back from yeah, because he and Christian Wilkins were tied for six and a half sacks on the season. We know, all know how good Christian Wilkins is on the interior of that defensive line, but you got to have a presence on the edge. And, I mean, they do still have Emmanuel Ogba in tow, which I think could be beneficial. Uh, they picked up uh, Jason Pierre-Paul from the Saints practice squad, so maybe they can get a little something out of him. But 
I think that this is a massive blow for the Dolphins. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our top takeaways of the week um, from week 12. We're only going to do three this week. Um, I'm going to start off with my first one, and then Ethan can give his top two. Uh, Number three for me is the Rams may have found a diamond in the rough with Kyron Williams. First game back um, after being on IR with the ankle injury, and the man went crazy. He had 204 yards from scrimmage, two touchdowns. I know with running backs, it just feels like so replaceable. Like, because even this season, the superstar guys don't exactly feel like the same superstars that they've been in the past. And so it's given a lot of opportunities for the guys like Kyron Williams or the Zach Charbonnets last night um, to really expose themselves. And so, hey, we can play in this league too. And Kyron Williams is showing that. And I think he's proven to be finally the running back that the Rams have needed since Todd Gurley. Uh, for me, my number, my number two is those. It's talking about the Ravens, and we talked about this off air. For whatever reason, Davion Clowney has finally put together the season we've always been expecting um, him to have. Like ever since he left the Texans, we were always expecting him to be this. I wouldn't say elite pad, elite to good pass rusher, and we've always been disappointed. I mean, he was on the Titans. I was thinking he was going. I was like, yeah, I don't know. And he proved that yeah, I don't know, right? I remember me and you talked about it when y'all signed him. Was like, I didn't. You didn't really want him. You thought it was a he was good at run, run stopping, but wasn't that great of a pass rusher? But now you're looking up and he's making like he's winning pass rushes and he's getting to the quarterback. Um, and my number one, the, the Steelers have found. The successes of going across the middle of the field. Um, first game post Matt Canada firing, they put up 421 yards. I mean, honestly, I'm gonna be real. I watched basically the whole game because this is the first time I could watch the Steelers game because I don't have um, Sunday tickets. I don't have Sunday tickets, so I was like, I'm gonna watch this game. I just I felt like the Tigers were gonna win. So I watched the game, and you could just see the difference it made and like, being able to attack the middle of the field. Pat Firemuth put up 100-plus plus, yards, and you could just see a different Kenny Pickett. He was more decisive. Um, they had a couple missed opportunities, like Deontay Johnson dropped what should have probably been a touchdown, but they got ruled a drop. You so see like, the play after I, that where he didn't go for the fumble? Yeah. And, like, I saw that play, and I was like, I'm surprised that he was back on the field because he would have he been benched. But, uh, but yeah, like, they, in their first game since Matt Canada and having, like, what looked to be, like, more of a more modern, current NFL offense, you could just see the change in the in the offense as a whole. Agreed. Um. My last two, really quick. Uh, There's a reason why Josh Dobbs has been a career backup. I know he's probably been the best story in the NFL and has been a lot of fun to watch, but this past game against the Bears, you start to see why teams have yet to commit to him being a full-time starter, just making poor decisions. I know some of those picks were just drop passes or tip passes, but at the end of the day, Josh Dobbs has been in the league for a long time. You can't make those same mental errors again and again and again, especially for a team that's trying to make the playoffs and is still in the playoff hunt. So that was a rough one. And then my number one, I don't know if Jalen Hurts will win MVP, but there's no doubt that that man is a dog. Like, 
statistically, it wasn't the craziest game, like, in terms of overall yards. Uh, he had 265 yards in scrimmage, 200 passing, 65 rushing. But he also had five total touchdowns, including a beautiful touchdown pass to Alam, Alma, my bad, Alamade Zacchaeus in the fourth quarter, and then scored the game-winning touchdown on a 13-yard touchdown run. I mean, Jalen Hurts is just, he's so good. And it may not be pretty at all times, and it may not always... It, I'll say this, it may not be as impressive as other quarterbacks, but at the end of the day, Jalen Hurts is a winner. And for that, I got to give him his kudos. But all right, let's go ahead and talk the most impressive offensive player, defensive player, and rookies of the week. Um, offensively, I already mentioned his name a little bit ago, but I'm going Kyron Williams with the Rams. Oh, for me, I'm going past fire move. Um, my most impressive defensive player, honestly, I'm surprised I haven't said his name sooner, but I'm going Raven safety, Kyle Hamilton. He has six tackles, two tackles for loss, and a pass deflection against the Los Angeles Chargers. I think his, uh, I think the pass game coordinator, Chris Hewitt for Baltimore, said it the best. Don't let the baby face fool you. He'll try and rip your face off. I mean, Kyle Hamilton, 14th overall pick last year, shocked that he landed in Baltimore's lap, and this year he looks like a bona fide top five safety in the league. Um, defensively, I'm not gonna last another statement. It's TJ Watt. Like, dude, dude is. It was something that I saw on Instagram that said it's crazy how people are disrespecting TJ Watt the way that they are because you look at his stats compared to all of these other guys that people think are um, defensive player of the year. Uh, like he has 13 and a half sacks. A half sack more than Miles Garrett, and like just every almost all the statistical categories, he's like better than the guys that people think are should be defensive player of the year, and he's not getting no love for it. So, and he, I gotta go with T.J. White. Y'all know my feelings towards the Steelers, but I love me some T.J. White. I, I love me some T.J. White, but before Miles's injury. I think I was leaning towards Miles Garrett being defensive player just because of how much he impacts the game overall. Like, that defense goes as far as he goes. And when he's not right, nothing else is right. T.J. Watt's a dog, though. Don't ever get twisted. I think he is better than Miles individually, but Miles Garrett is a bad dude. So every other pass rusher, I would agree with you, it's disrespectful to diss T.J. Watt in any form. But with Miles, I think it's it's a more fair comparison. Um, rookie of the week, I'm going Falcons running back B. John Robinson. He had over 120 yards of scrimmage, two touchdowns. It's been kind of an up-and-down rookie season for B. John, just like, I mean, with any rookie. But this past game showed him at the heights of his power. I got to go with B. John as well. And then my most disappointed player, quarterback Jerry Goff for the Lions, had lost three fumbles against the Packers. I mean, we talked about it last week. They had, what, four turnovers against the Bears? Really should have lost that game. And I talked about it in one of my takeaways. Like, committing all those turnovers is going to lose you games, especially when you go up against better teams or teams that aren't making those same mistakes. So, Jerry Goff, I mean, the Lions have been great this year, but turnovers are definitely an issue. I also got to agree with you because going into that game, I for sure thought that they were going to, like, dominate Green Bay. But you can't dominate if you turn the ball over. Yeah. And I think they had, what, three? They had three turnovers, and I don't think they forced a turnover. So you got to be better than that. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on to week 13. Let's talk some roster moves, starting off with the retirement of 15-year veteran wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, who, by the way, it's his birthday today. Uh, but a couple of days ago, it was announced via him and Jeffrey Lurie, the owner and chair, I mean, the chairman and CEO of the Philadelphia Eagles, that Deshaun Jackson was going to retire. And in his words, he will, in fact, he'll forever be an Eagle. So it got me to thinking. We kind of talked about this a couple years ago with Demarius Thomas when he retired. Rest in peace. Where do you rank Deshaun Jackson among the best receivers of the 2010s? Um, I would I would he would be like in the 15 to 20 and below range. I I will put him just outside the top 20. Because it's like, obviously, you'll think about the Megatrons, the Julios, the ABs, like, cast like that. And then it's like, you factor in the other guys who got drafted in the 2010s, and that's a whole nother floodgates that open up. So I, I said, like, just outside the top 20. But this is one that I was kind of wrestling with. Do you think that Deshaun Jackson is a better overall wide receiver than Julian Edelman? It's hard because in both, in my opinion, I would consider both of them specialists. Because, like, Julian Edelman was a slot receiver that did a lot of his work going across the middle. And Deshaun Jackson was a speedster that took the top off. He didn't really go across the middle. Um, I would probably lean more towards Edelman because I think, like, Yes, he did a lot of his work across the middle, but he also had moments where he made big plays on the outside. So I'm gonna say Edelman. It, I was definitely wrestling with it too. I gave the nod to Edelman, and this isn't necessarily Deshaun Jackson's fault, but Julian Edelman made plays when it mattered the most, and that's in the playoffs. And you can say, "Oh well, Tom Brady was his quarterback." I don't want to hear it. At the end of the day. I always admire the players who get it done when it matters, and few receivers did that better than Julian Edelman. So between the two, I would give the edge to Edelman too, but Deshaun was a much more fun receiver to watch. Oh, 100%. But in terms of, like, being a wideout, I, I give the nod to Julian. But fun fact, did you know he only had, like, 6,000, like, career receiving yards? Well, in the regular season? Who? Edelman. Nah, the, uh, Julian Edelman. That's not surprising. I mean, he didn't catch, like, like I, he did a lot of his work in the short passing game, so I'm not surprised by it. I'm surprised by it just because it feels like he played for a really long time. And so the yeah. fact, like, 6,000, around 6,000 receiving yards in the regular season is crazy, especially because by comparison, Deshaun Jackson had 11,263. <laughs> And it's also, you got to factor this in, like, before he really came into his own, he had to play, he had to sit behind Wells Welker, too. Uh, eh, they were kind of playing in tandem. I mean, it, it opened up for him when Wells Welker went to Denver, but Julian Edelman was still getting his shine. If anything, he was more so like a second target behind Gronk, who was eating up a lot of the targets. Yeah, that's true. 
But, yeah. I mean, still, happy trails to Deshaun Jackson, one of the most fun receivers to watch of that era. Happy retirement. Um, Let's go ahead and talk about some players getting signed um, in the present-day NFL. We already talked about a little bit ago, Jason Pierre-Paul is headed to Miami um, after being signed from the Saints practice squad. Um, Last week, the Philadelphia Eagles waived defensive end Derek Barnett. He is headed to the Texans after they claim him off waivers. Um, In response, the Texans waived cornerback uh, Shaq Griffin. He has been since claimed by the Carolina Panthers. And a couple of veterans... Uh, notable veterans were waived this week. And so we're going to talk about which teams we think should sign them. Starting off with Marcus Peters. Um, after a verbal altercation this past game against the, I mean, with the Las Vegas Raiders and interim head coach Antonio Pierce and some spotty play, he wound up getting benched in that game, released shortly thereafter. He's now a free agent. What team do you think should pick him up? Go back to y'all. Agreed. I don't think he would start. But I think just the presence he brings in the locker room, I think that that's some key. And especially with this, the attitude of this defense where I think it was Chuck Smith who the outside linebacker coach or like pass rush coach, I don't remember what his exact title was. He was like, we want to lead the league in beating quarterbacks up. And so just wanting guys on the defense who are bullies, who want to make those plays, who want to be aggressive, Juice Man absolutely fits the bill. So I think Baltimore will make a lot of sense. All right, what about Zach Ertz? The veteran tight end and the Arizona Cardinals agreed mutually to waive him in in return. He's not going to get a game check for this upcoming week. But if he joins a contender, he'll end up making that money back. What team do you think Zach Ertz should go to? I'm doubling up on y'all. Um, with, the, with the loss of Mark Andrews, I think it just could be mutually beneficial because Zach Ertz, it's not like he – He's definitely not at the top of his game like he was in years past, but it's also not like he he's not a capable um, target that you can implement to help uh, lighten the load of Isaiah Likely in the absence of Mark Andrews. I'm going to be boring, but I'm going to say Philly. I think Philly makes a lot of sense. He knows the offense. He was there for a very long time before eventually going to Arizona. And, I mean, Dallas Goddard is out of action. I know this hasn't exactly been an explosive year for Dallas Goddard or Philly tight ends in general, but you can never have enough depth. And Zach Ertz is a proven veteran. So let's say that Dallas come back um, and he's a bit slowed or he's not the same guy. At least you have another tight end on the roster that you know you can trust. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the Carolina Panthers and their decision to fire Frank Wright after a 1-10 start to their season. Let's start off here. Do you think that the Panthers made the right decision firing him? I'm going to say, in my personal opinion, I don't think it's smart to ever fire a coach after in the middle or after their first season because, like, you haven't given the, t- you haven't given the coach the amount of time to, like, positively affect your team um especially in the case of carolina like you bring in a rookie quarterback who is learning the nfl you don't have a good offensive line your best receiver is a long and a tooth adam Thielen. like in all honesty the product on the field probably was never going to be good regardless of who's the coach so i'm going to say no i'm going to say no as well but I have to ask you. So you thought that the Jags should have held on to Urban Meyer? That's different. He should have been gone. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think so. Um, because I get it. Like, 
Frank Reich is a veteran head coach. I understand you want to see results. You want to see things start turning. But, I mean, and we both talked about this, like, before the season even started. Like, we thought that the Panthers had did an adequate job of, like, bringing in weapons or not even weapons, but solid players, whether it be Hayden Hurst, Miles Sanders, um, Adam Thielen. And of those guys, Adam Thielen is the only one who's really produced, not to mention all the injuries their defense has suffered. I mean, J.C. Horn, who's supposed to be their best corner, he hasn't been healthy. Same could be said for Jeremy Chen, who's been great on the field, but he has not been on the field much over the past couple of months. I mean, it was just a series of unfortunate events for the Carolina Panthers, which really were just out of Frank Wright's control. And so, yeah, I don't think he should have been fired. Um, I think he should have at least got another year, but, you know, to each his own. So with Frank Wright, we both agree we don't think he should have been fired necessarily. But who do you think is to blame for the Panthers' poor start? Obviously, it's not just one thing. So what do you think is the main cause of it? I mean, I think it's injuries, um, inconsistent O-line play. And it's kind of like you stated, the guys that they brought in that were kind of reliable veterans on other teams, they haven't been reliable for the Carolina Panthers. Like, and and with that, you're bringing in a rookie quarterback, learning, like, new to the NFL, new to the speed of the game. And if nothing, in my opinion, if nothing around you is reliable, you can't expect the quarterback to produce so I think it's just unreliable play overall and then on the defensive side injuries. Yeah, I um yeah, agree with you there. And then just again just front office decisions. They could have been aggressive in trying to find another wide receiver. I know that throughout Frank Reich's coaching career, he's never really had like a dis- undisputed number one guy. I mean, with Indianapolis, it was Michael Pittman. You can make an argument whether or not he's a true number one wide receiver. When he was the offensive coordinator with Philly, their number one receiver was Alshon Jeffrey. On any other team, will he really be a number one wide receiver? Who knows? But they won a Super Bowl, so can you really knock it? Um, and so just with all that, I think the front office could have done a better job of just putting better players around Bryce Young. And again, Bryce Young absolutely has not been perfect either. But yeah, I just think... Yeah, it was just a lot of different things that just did not go right. And so, obviously, when you have quarterbacks picked back-to-back in the same draft class, there's bound to be comparisons. Uh, Reportedly, Frank Reich and former quarterback coach for the team uh, wanted C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young. However, their owner, David Tepper, heavily influenced the Panthers' selection of Bryce Young. Now, Tepper, in his press conference, disputed these uh, claims, saying that it was a group effort and a consensus to take CJ, I mean Bryce Strath, Bryce Young. Who knows? But let's say that the quarterback situations were reversed. Do you think there will be much of a difference with the Panthers had they went with CJ Stroud first overall over Bryce Young? I'm gonna I'm gonna say no because you take CJ Stroud, but everything else that we just talked about was still well, we don't know about the injuries, but everything else will still be there. Like, you will have unreliable wide receiver play, unreliable run game, unreliable O-line. Like, in the case of the Texans, like, at least for right now, they have more consistent play out of their other positions alongside their quarterback. Like, Tank Dale has been a consistent wide receiver, like, consistent what seems to be number one wide receiver. Their O-line seems to be consistently, like, not great, but like 
decent to good. Their defense has been consistent. Um, so, like, with that, and then you pair in, like, the fact that C.J. Stroud has been a, a a really good prospect of a quarterback, at least this early course in his career, that's what I think is the difference. Is like, you have, like, with the Texans, he has something to work with. With the Panthers, he really wouldn't have anything to work with. Which is interesting because, I mean, with, imagine us saying this like four or five months ago. Like, everybody yeah. would think that the Texans would be in a much worse spot than the Panthers are. But look where we're at. So, yeah, I think – I don't think it would make much of a difference either. Like, I – because C.J. Stroud has been very good. But, I mean, I would take De- Tank Dell over anybody on the Panthers' offense. Same for Dalton uh-huh. Schultz. Um, neither of their offensive lines are great. But by far, the Texans' offensive line is playing much better. The Texans' defense has been healthier than the Panthers have been. And, I mean, just looking at that, Brian Burns is great for the Panthers. Dante Jackson is a fine corner. Like I mentioned, J.C. Horn hasn't been healthy. Neither has Jeremy Chin. Whereas, with the exception of Sting for a few games, the Texans' defense has been relatively healthy and playing pretty well. I mean, even Sting, when he got back, he's had back-to-back games with interceptions. Jalen Petrie is a dog. Will Anderson's playing really well. Denzel Perryman's been good before his suspension. So, just across the board, it's definitely a much situa- much better situation right now in Houston than it would is in Carolina. But, all right, let's go ahead and play a quick game of Believable or Buffoonery. Uh, before we move on to our game, week 13 game picks and NBA stuff. So let's talk Dak Prescott, who's by far looked like one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the league this year. Again, something else I can't imagine me saying four months, four or five months ago. But he's been playing terrific, so much so that Dan Orlovsky um, on Get Up this week said if he plays the next month like he has the previous month, he's going to win MVP in the NFL. Do you think that's believable or buffoonery? Uh, I'm, I don't know the last month of their schedule. I got it right so here. Okay, want me to read to you? So yeah. they beat Seattle last week. I mean, last night. They got Philly, Buffalo, Miami, and Detroit. And then they close out the season against the Commanders. So if he if he plays up to this level against the against those teams, I would say yes. Yeah. Because my my thought process is is like Dak hasn't really done it against uh, any good teams. There's been the whole knock that everybody's been saying is like, yeah, the Cowboys have a good record. Yeah, Dak has been playing great, but he hasn't won- he hasn't beaten a team. Like, I think the, his first time this season beating a team over 500 was beating yeah. Seahawks just. So, like, in my opinion, that will play a big role in it. Because if he's able to, like, he doesn't have to win all the games. But let's say, like, he's able to beat Philly and maybe, like, beat Detroit and then throw in, like, winning against the Commanders and the Bills. And he plays well. I can see him winning MVP. But if he doesn't play well, and if he does play well and they still lose some of those games, I don't see him winning MVP. And I'll say it like this, not even just like 
winning, but like don't lose the team the game. That's really what it's all about. Like if you mess around and lose, okay, whatever it is, what it is, but don't be the reason why the Cowboys lose a game. But yeah, I agree. It's just because of the quality teams that they're about to face, I agree. I think it is he should get it if he does continue to play well against them. All right, let's go ahead and talk the Minnesota Vikings. Um, they're on their bye this week. However, it has been an interesting revolving door at quarterback um, since the uh, unfortunate torn Achilles suffered by Kirk Cousins. With Josh Dobbs' four interception performance this past week, uh, head coach Kevin O'Connell was noncommittal about what they will do when they return from the bye in week 14. When asked about it, he said, we're going to take a look and evaluate. So, believable or buffoonery. The Vikings should stick with Josh Dobbs as their QB after the bye. Believable, because in, because in my opinion they uh they don't have any anybody like better, and it's also like it's not like regardless of whoever they start, they're going to be like a world beater with someone at quarterback because they. They're playing backup, so I would just ride it out with Josh Dobbs because he showed to at least be able to win games for you guys. I'm gonna say believable mainly because what better option out there is is it? None. Yeah. I mean, maybe Jaron Hall, who looked all right before he ended up getting hurt in that Atlanta game. There are really no free agent options. Kirk Cousins isn't walking through the door tomorrow. I love Justin Jefferson, but I don't think he can play quarterback. So, yeah, I think you thug it out with Dobbs and just see where it goes. On the positive, like, after the bye, they're supposed to be getting Jay Jettas back, which is going to be great for them. Their offense is absolutely loaded. So, you'll say this. If Josh Dobbs struggles, it's not because he doesn't have the talent. I don't say that much, but, yeah, I think – I think you keep him as a starter because what better are you going to do? All right, last thing. Uh, we talked about Frank Wright getting fired, and it may not be long before another head coach is on the chopping block, referring to Commander's head coach Ron Rivera, who is expected to be fired at the conclusion of this season. The Commanders have already fired their defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, as well as their DB coach. So in the event that they are that uh, Ron Rivera is fired. It's believed that the commanders are a very attractive spot for head coaching candidates. Uh, CB Yorts reports everyone's shooting for Washington. One personnel executive said um, they have a good, good amount of draft picks, healthy cap situation, and they seem to have a competent quarterback for the first time. So, believable or buffoonery, the commanders have the most attractive potential head coaching position. I'm going to say buffoonery because I think the Chargers do. For me, I'd probably I would say I would say believable. I mean buffoonery as well because I would lean towards Chargers, and honestly, I think the Bears are a better spot too. One, because you got a lot of cap space, and two, more likely you're going to have two top five picks in the NFL drafts. So you can really start shaping the team the way that you want to. So, and also the division is. The NFC North is cool, but they don't have a Dallas or a Philly. They don't have a team that's like every year you know is going to be at the top of the division. And so the Bears are a couple of good moves and a couple of playmakers away from like really doing some damage in that division. So I would, I'll call buffoonery on commanders being the best spot. 
But all right, let's go ahead and make our game pick, starting off with the Denver Broncos heading to Houston to face the Texans. This is very tough, but I think I'm going to go Texans. Uh, I'm around with your brother-in-law. I'm going to go Broncos. I hope you are right. All right, Los Angeles Chargers versus the New England Patriots. I got Chargers. Chargers. Detroit Lions versus the New Orleans Saints. Both teams coming off losses. I'm going to go Lions, but I think it's going to be a close game. I'm going to go Lions as well. Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Arizona Cardinals. Another game that I think is going to wind up being closer than people think. I'm still going Steelers, though. Pittsburgh. Uh, Atlanta Falcons heading to MetLife to face the New York Jets. I think the Jets' defense is going to have an amazing game, but Falcons are going to come out on top. Yeah, I'm going to go Falcons. I don't trust any of the Jets quarterbacks. Your Tennessee Titans are hosting the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Colts won the first matchup this season, 23-16. to What do you think happens in the second matchup? <sighs> I mean, Jonathan Taylor's out, but it also doesn't matter because Zach Moss has been really good this season. Uh, the Titans have gained, got some juice from coming off a win. Is it in Nashville? It's in Nashville. I'm going to go Titans. Uh, Miami Dolphins heading to Washington to face the Commanders. Don't matter. I got Dolphins on the road. Dolphins. Uh, Carolina Panthers heading to Tampa to, fart, to start the Chris Tabor era. It doesn't matter. I got Bucks. Bucks. Uh, Cleveland Browns going to L.A. to face the Rams. I got Rams. Yeah, the Rams. San Francisco 49ers versus the Philadelphia Eagles, and personally, the game of the week, in my opinion. This is very tough, but I'm I'm going 49ers. I, I think luck for the Eagles has run out this weekend. Why can't they finish this game on Sunday night? Well, one, it's too late to do it, and two, the Packers have been okay over these past few games, so they can make an argument like, oh, this is going to be competitive. It's Patrick Mahomes' first day at Lambo, blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay, but uh, I'm going to This is a tough game. I think I'm going to go Eagles, though. Fly, Eagles, fly. Uh, And now that Sunday night football game, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Green Bay Packers, I got Chiefs. Because I think their receivers are actually going to catch the ball today. Well, Sunday. Chiefs. All right, Monday night football, this game will be so much fun, more fun if Joe Burrow was playing. But the Jacksonville Jaguars are hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going Jags. Jags. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie players we are watching. Starting off offensively, I'm watching Brock Purdy. Everybody has heard from the 49ers, oh, well, we didn't have a quarterback. If we would have had a quarterback, we would have won. Well, it's now time for y'all to prove it, which puts a lot of pressure on Brock Purdy's shoulders. So let's show everybody that had you played, y'all would have went to the Super Bowl. I'm actually copying you because I was thinking the exact same thing. All right, next up, defensively, I don't have just one specific player. I'm going to Titans hold defensive front. Last time they played the Colts, Colts had 193 rushing yards. I think Zach Moss had 156. And um, I was talking to the Titans writer this week for something I was working on, and he was saying how Arden Key was saying he felt like it was the worst defensive performance that the Titans had had all season and that essentially they had got bullied. And so I want to see how they respond this time around and how they play against the Colts run game. Oh. 
I'm copying you again because the Titans' defensive front is normally one of the stronger units on the whole team. And I do remember that game because I was I I didn't watch it, but I looked at the stats and I was like, this isn't the brand of football that the Titans play, especially on defense. Because um, we know the secondary bad, but the front seven is good. So I got to go with that group. Yeah, in the words of uh, Jim Wyatt, the writer I talked to, the Titans remember that game so well because they got beat at their own game. And I think that's the perfect way to say it. Um, And then my rookie I'm watching is Will Anderson. Obviously, I want my brother-in-law and the Broncos to come out on top. But one of the best ways to ensure the Texans get victory is if they are able to get pressure on Russ. Y'all know I love me so Will Anderson. I think he's going to have a chance to do that, line up against Mike McGlinchey. If he can force some plays, maybe force a fumble or two, I think the Texans can get this win and strengthen their case to be a playoff team. The rookie I'm watching is Jalen Carter. We know that this is a big game. It's essentially it's, it's like a rivalry game because these are the two best teams in the NFC. There's been a lot of trash talk, but the reality of it is, is one of the forty one of the 49ers are um, at their peak is when Christian McCaffrey has a big game or has his hand in a lot in a big way over the course of the game. So I think Jalen Carter being a part of the group that slows him down in a run can play a huge part in them winning their game. All right, and then last but not least, the team that we are calling out this weekend, Baltimore is on a bye, so I won't have to stress out. I can just yell at my brother-in-law and hope that the Broncos get it together. So I'm calling them out. I want them to make the playoffs. I want to continue to see the looks on Russell Wilson haters' faces as he continues to stack wins. Sure, it may not be the most impressive thing, but he's not costing his team, and that's what matters the most. So Broncos, handle your business. Strengthen that case to be a wild card team. Uh, for me, I'm calling out the Steelers. But don't lose to Kyler Murray. Like, he look, he's look good, but don't lose to the Cardinals. Yeah. I, I'm surprised you're not calling out the Titans. Uh, I'm, I've accepted the fact that the Titans are like this weird anomaly. Like... They can look good against Carolina, which they really didn't look that great. They looked decent. Yeah. But because Carolina is so bad, that decent is enough to beat them. But I wouldn't be surprised if I looked up on Sunday and, like, they lost to the coach by, like, a touchdown or two. And and also, like, at least from a fan standpoint – the whole, like, firing, the, like, the talks around firing Mike Vrabel is starting to annoy me. And, like, I don't think they actually will, but if they did fire Mike Vrabel, I would be really upset because it's like you're firing a good head coach on a team that doesn't have a competent O-line and has had injuries. And y'all know well, he's just going to go to uh, New England. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of those things where it's like if it, if it were to happen and he went to New England and then he had and he was able to form the team the way that he wanted he had success, I would just be like, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Starting with our Mamba Players of the Week. Out of the Eastern Conference, I'm going Tyrese Halliburton. He's been balling, and uh, he is just the second player 
um, alongside Michael Jordan and LeBron James to average 25 points per game, 10 assists per game, to 50% from the field, 40% from three in a single month. Yeah, I got to go with Tyrese because he's been balling. All right, Western Mamba of the week, I'm going Zion Williamson. Just coming off a 33-point game where he shot 11 of 11 from the field. I mean, 26 the game before that, 32 before that, 25, 26, 26. I mean, he's been efficient. He's been great. I mean, this is the Zion who everybody's been waiting on. Yeah, I'm going to say Zion as well because now that he's shown to be healthy and, like, starting to gain his form. I'm not going to lie, Zion really becoming, like, one of my favorite players to just watch. Because I just like to see him, like, manhandle other professional athletes. Yeah. I mean, he definitely – and, I mean, considering just how thick he is and how big he is, I mean, he does that consistently. He's he's a baller. Um, And then Rookie Mamba of the Week, first time I'm going uh, Jamie Jaquez, but he's absolutely earned it. Um, been playing really, really well for the Heat lately. I think last game he dropped 24. Been on a really nice uh, uptick with uh, Tyler Hero out. Uh, I'm going to go with the obvious check because Chick has been baller. Do that. All right, let's talk our top three takeaways of the week. For me, this is solely from a fan perspective, but it's always a great day when Jimmy Butler takes the court. Missed the last couple games with an ankle injury, no problem. Uh, yesterday, he dropped 36 points and 11 boards in his return. So I'm always happy to see Jimmy Buckets on the court. Um, For me, my number three is, I think, the same way that we've talked about the dynasty with the Patriots, I think we're, we're probably seeing the end of the dynasty with Golden State. Clay Thompson hasn't looked like Clay Thompson, even the Clay Thompson of last season that wasn't his normal peak of powers, but like he was still good. Steph is still amazing, but just like the team just isn't good. So I would say I think that the Warriors dynasty is finally finished. Maybe I'm tripping, but. It feels like Clay is starting to kind of give off those Scottie Pippen vibes. Not necessarily that he's jealous of Steph or anything, but it's like just takes no accountability. Like he thinks that he's a much bigger star than he is because I know I don't remember what game it was after, but after the uh, post game press conference, they were like asking him about his struggling play, and he was trying to act like he wasn't shooting sub fifty percent from the field. Like it was rough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's also it's hard because like. He has struggled play wise. The people just come in Clay because, like, you can't go with Steph because Steph gonna Steph still, regardless of who's around him, Steph has been great basically his whole most his whole career. And then, like, I mean, outside of Draymond's like antics and like his play, he's never been a guy where you look at his play and it's like, oh, he's this amazing player. Like he's played, he's had peaks moments, but like, yeah, Clay is the obvious target because, bro, you're you're not the number one guy, and you're the guy that like you're the complimentary piece that's that's declining. Yeah, it's rough, and I mean, Clay is. I mean, not Clay. Steph is locked in on a contract. Clay's not. Um, number two, no one would ever say that the two and seventeen Pistons are good, but no one can deny they have talent. Like Kay Cunningham, though it's been in what sixteen straight losing efforts, 
he's been balling. Asur uh, Thompson has looked pretty good. We're starting to see some moments from Jalen Duran. Duran, I'm sorry. Um, oh my gosh, my brain just went blank. Um, dang, Sadiq Bay has had moments, and um, Jaden Ivy is another guy. Like, just I'm sorry. Sadiq Bay is in Atlanta. My bad, I did not mean Sadiq Bay. I'm thinking of another yeah, big man who's. Hold on, I'm gonna cheat. But... Oh, you're talking about Isaiah Stewart. Yes, Isaiah Stewart. Thank you. Man who's trying to kill everybody. Um, him, I mean, overall, it's just this team obviously has talent. And I think that not this year, obviously, but maybe a couple years down the line, Monty Williams is really going to start getting the best out of them. It's obviously not leading to wins right now, but this this team definitely has reasons for excitement, though their record doesn't reflect it. It's funny you say that because I was about to call out Monty Williams for his coaching job because it's not directly linked to the way that he uh, to them winning games, but it's just his lineups. Like he hasn't really played Jay Nivey. Um, I know that he hasn't been able to play um, Bogdanovich because he's been out, but he'll be back soon. I think he'll come back this week. Yeah. You're committed. You committed to like playing James Wiseman, and I mean James Wiseman. He played for Memphis for like three, four games. Had some Memphis ties, but since he's been in the NBA, he just hasn't been good. And like, I think it's time to face that music and acknowledge it. So like, he just has some really bad lineup combinations that just don't make sense. Um, which I also think to tie into why they've lost so much. Because it's like you're not putting your best lineups out on the court, so you're obviously going to lose. Um, so that was my second takeaway. Um, and then number one for me, I don't know how long the Magic's hot streak will last, but it provides the NBA with some much-needed parity. Like I think right now the Magic are second in the Eastern Conference at 13-5. and five. They won the last eight games. Of course, a month or two from now, do I think that the Magic are going to be 22? I mean, second in the Eastern standings, absolutely not. But at least it's something different. It's cool because we're not always just talking about the same three or four teams in the East. Now we're starting to see everybody kind of evolve. Paolo's playing well. Franz Wagner, Wagner's playing well. I mean, another young team that has talent, and it's cool to see it, like, start to pay off, even if it doesn't last. It's kind of like last year with the Utah Jazz when they had a hot start. Um, My number one takeaway is that the the Los Angeles Clippers should have never traded for James Harden. Um, I know that they've got a couple wins since, but I think they really messed up the chemistry that they had because you had guys in in positions to put them in success. Like you had Russ basically being a high-energy distributor who can score every now and then. You had PG, you had Paul, you had Terrence, man. You had, like, I think they really, because especially now, like this season, it's looked like Kawhi, so far at least, Kawhi and PG both have been healthy. I think trading for the I was saying knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. But I think trading for James Harden, might have messed up their most realistic chance at competing for a championship because you ruined the chemistry that they that they had going into the season. Because yeah. going into the season, they looked good. Yeah, I agree. Props to Russ also for being selfless and like 
asking to come off the bench so he can kind of help lead that group. That's definitely been like a turning point for them, but it's still, I agree with you. Like the chemistry is thrown off because of the decision to move uh, Harden and then it just changed the lineup and all that jazz. Um, not exactly a roster move in terms of player, but it does affect some big picture stuff. Uh, Mark Cuban, who has owned the Dallas Mavericks for what seems like forever, is selling a majority stake of the team to Miriam Ad- Adelson and uh, Casino Tycoon Adelson family for evaluation in the range of $3.5 billion. Not only is Cuban getting the bag, but he is also going to keep his own share in the team and have full control of basketball operations. So I don't know about you, but does that sound like a win-win to me? Um, moving on to some NBA injuries, uh, the Atlanta Hawks are going to lose forward Jalen Johnson for the next four to six weeks after he suffered a left wrist injury, uh, test show there's no fracture or need for surgery. So that's a plus, uh, Carolina, I mean, Carolina Hornets are going to be without star LaMelo ball after he suffered a serious sprain in his right ankle and is likely going to be out for an extended amount of time. Now I know that Brandon Miller missed this past game, but before that he was seeing significant playing time and now with LaMelo ball out obviously it's going to be a collaborative effort but do you think that this is the time for Brandon Miller to really take over and show why he was a second overall pick oh yeah because I mean we all know that when healthy the Hornets are going to be ran through LaMelo ball so now that he's out you don't really like you have scary Terry who who can like catch a heater and carry an offense for like a day or a couple of games or two, but you get, you have an opportunity to put the ball in Brandon Miller's hands and like see what you have from him as the focal point of offense. Um, so I think that's what that's what's going to happen. I agree. And, I mean, you draft this guy, you talk about all his potential because obviously he has it or you wouldn't have taken him this early. I think this is the perfect opportunity once he gets healthy to see what he can do and kind of run through the off- run the offense through him. Uh, so this was an interesting thing I came across. So recently Shaq did an interview, and he talked about his dream NBA duos. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look through some of those duos and rank the top three duos we would like to see play in an actual NBA game. And so here's where the list starts. He said he wants to see Kobe and Joel and B, LeBron and MJ, himself and Steph Curry, Magic and Giannis, Larry Bird and Luka, Tim Duncan and Wimby, Dennis Rodman and Draymond Green, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Chris Paul. So starting at number three, which of those duos would you most want to see? Simmons, mm, no. Yeah, him and, him and Steph. Feel that. My number three is Kobe and Joel Embiid. Mainly cause just because I want to see Kobe play again. Like, I saw him and Shaq play, and that was great and amazing. I don't think there's going to be a better center guard tandem ever. But it'd be nice just seeing Kobe play another game. All right, what about number two? Uh, Kobe and Joel. I said Draymond and Rodman just because I want to see them terrorize the rest of the NBA. That's my number one for the exact same reason. My number one is Magic and Giannis just because, I mean, love me some Magic. And I think Giannis, like, with Magic, I think they would do some legit damage. Sure, Magic's not going to, like, kill anybody from three, but just the all-around player he is, I mean, defensively, you got to take that into account. All the things up for Giannis, all that good stuff. 
yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery and then get up out of here. Uh, starting with Jamie Jaquez, we kind of talked about him a little bit uh, when we were doing our Mambas of the Week. Um, and he was my rookie Mamba. And J.J. Reddick appears to be a fan, too. Uh, in his opinion, he said that Jamie Jaquez, outside of Chet and Wimby, has been the best rookie. So, is that believable or buffoonery that Jaquez has been the third best rookie this season? Um, I think it's believable because Scoop has drastically underperformed slash been injured and like no other rookie really has stood out besides Chet and Wimby. So I would have to say that's believable. I'll say buffoonery. I would give the nod to Asura Thompson with the Pistons because I feel like he's done a little bit of everything. Like he's averaging 11 points per game, 9.2 boards, 2.8 assists, whereas Jamie's averaging 12 points per game, 3.9 rebounds, and two and a half assists. So I think that Thompson is kind of doing a little bit of everything on the box score, which is giving me the slight, to me, gives him the nod over Jamie. But he's been playing well, but I, I will give the nod Thompson. Um, we talked about it last week with Jordan Poole and just how things are not going well with him and the Washington Wizards. And now Kyle Kuzma is starting to be pulled into it as well because statistics have come out through the first um, – 18 games of the Wizards season and they are not good when Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma are on the court they're combined to have a negative 32.1 net rating they have 43 turnovers due to bad passes and 31 of their shot attempts have been blocked so believable or buffoonery Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma are the NBA's worst one-two punch uh, I think it's believable um yeah like, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I don't have an argument. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, Kyle Kuzma individually has been cool, but it's hard to give Jordan Poole, like, credit for anything. Because, like, we talked about, like, before the season, like, okay, maybe, like, hey, he's not really going to play no defense. The Wizards not going to win nothing, but he's going to put up a lot of points. And that has absolutely not been the case. He has been just another guy. And considering what he was brought in for and then not really being able to trust him as a cornerstone of your franchise – it don't make no sense. All right, last thing, uh, going back to some legends, Allen Iverson talked about just not deciding to team up with Kobe and Shaq during those early Lakers days. And he said this, I look at these dudes, how they switch up teams and stuff like that. A man to each his own. I love these little young guys, but I could never imagine playing with Shaq or playing with Kobe. You know what I mean? I would feel like it would be too easy for me. I always felt like I was playing with four of the pros, man, so that is a super team. I mean, yeah, duh. But believable or buffoonery, because you never know, AI would have gotten at least two rings had he decided to join Kobe and Shaq in L.A. 1,000%. Yeah, it would have. It just would have been nasty, cause Kobe and Shaq by themselves were doing it, and I mean, it's not like they really had anybody better than above average around them. No disrespect to the rest of that roster, but you put AI on that team too, it wouldn't have been fair. It would not have been fair. All right, that is our show. Before we get up out of here, let's make some game picks. Uh, starting off with the Washington Wizards versus the Orlando Magic. I got ma Magic by fifteen. Magic. Uh, New New York Knicks versus the Toronto Raptors. This is tough, but I I'm gonna go Knicks. Knicks. 
Your Memphis Grizzlies are back in action. They're headed to Dallas to face the Mavericks. Screw it. I don't care. I got Grizzlies. Uh, I'm Mavericks. I'm not going to lie to myself. That's fair. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers heading to Boston. This is going to be a great game, or at least it should be, assuming Joel B plays. Um, I got Boston. Yeah, I got Boston, too. San Antonio Spurs versus the New Orleans Pelicans. Spurs trying to end the 13-game losing streak. I don't think it happens. Mm, yeah, I got Pelicans. I also really want to see Chet versus – not Chet. Uh, Wimby versus, versus Zion. Zion. I do too. Cause is that – no, nah, I don't think that's going to be nationally broadcast, is it? It might be on NBA TV. I don't know if you have it or not. Nope. I got NFL TV. I mean, NFL Network, but I don't have that. It's fine. I'll just be watching wrestling in uh, the Pac-12 championship. Um, last but not least, we got the Denver Nuggets versus the Phoenix Suns. I got Nuggets because I think Jamal Murray comes back today. Oh, for real? That was quick. Uh, I got Nuggets. Let me quadruple check. I know he's – if it's not today, I know it's sometime this week. Um, Did I lie to you? Yeah. I'm trying to find a tweet, and I'm going to find it when I don't care. Um, but all right, that is our show. Again, thank y'all so much for listening. As always, please share check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Free episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get up out of here? Go Titans, go Grizz. Um, we, I'm not really big in college basketball as much as Madness, but still go Tigers. Oh, uh, it was something. Oh, I we did. I didn't get a chance to talk about this during our Survivor Series wrap up. Because mm-hmm. Aiden knows my affinity for Real Ripley. I feel like I have the freedom to say this. Real look good as crap <laughs> in Survivor Series. I just want to call a spade a spade. <laughs> it's funny you say that because you remember when I texted you um, if you were watching Survivor Series. Yeah. So that was around the time of the Rio Ripley match. And please, nobody cancel me for what I'm about to say, but whatever. I had texted a friend of mine. I was like, no homo. Rio wearing the hell out of them chaps. Yeah, like, <laughs> so I, what's the dude? It's the dude. He's like, he does interview Chris Van, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like a known interviewer or wrestler. So he was in Survivor Series. And he had like a front row seat, so he recorded real when she like her entrance. And I was like, I've seen her entrance because I mean I saw it when I went to Raw, mm-hmm. but I've never like like that like close up. I was like, bro, real like real these chaps, something going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what possessed her to do that. I was like, you go, girl. Like, and it was distracting. Like, it was a good not match, even. but it was so distracting. And I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm not one of those, I'm not, like, the wrestling creep dude that only watches women wrestling because he gets off on it, or, like, he watches it because he thinks women is attractive. But, like, it was distracting. Like, every time she went for a pin or a move, it's like, bro, you can't help but look. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. I, I totally understand, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, she looked, she looked great. Um, uh, all I got is uh Jaden Daniels for Heisman. Uh, Baltimore, we got a week off, so I'm gonna give y'all a break. 
Um, and yeah, I, I really got nothing. College football, I'm very excited to see what happens this week. Um, there should be a lot of really good games. Tonight's going to be some great games. And Sunday, just get back to it. Uh, but again, thank y'all so much for listening. As always, please sure check out theexport.net. I repeat theexport.net for exclusive sports content. Written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Again, thank y'all for listening. We appreciate you. And we'll see you all next time.